I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. Zach, I just got the hiccups. Oh, my gosh. It's it's like the hardest thing trying to do a radio show while I've got the hiccups. All right. We're well, playing Hurt this segment. Yeah, I'm definitely playing Hurt this segment. we got Lane Casadante coming up at 1.30. Greg Medea talk a little UVA at 2.30 here on AWOD Radio. But it's 1 p.m., which means it's time for the Richmond Commander. It's time for the Richmond Commander. Are you ready for some- The phones are open. It's your chance to be the quarterback of this segment. There's something I like to say. Every day at 1 p.m. on AWOD Radio, the Richmond Commander. So Commanders get the win and snap the Ravens' 24-game preseason win streak. I told you yesterday, if they get the win, it would, in my mind, signal a culture change here in Washington led by Eric Bieniemy, where this offense is going to scheme up ways to put points on the board, first string, second string, and third stringers. And that's exactly what they did with Jake Fromm leading the comeback with nine points there in the fourth quarter. Commanders go on to win 29-28 thanks to Joey Sly's 49-yard field goal. All right, let's get into it. AWOD's 10 takeaways from preseason game number two. Number one, Sam Howell. Slinging Sammy Howe delivers with a strong first half performance in which it just felt like he wasn't going to throw many incomplete passes. At one point, he only had three. He finished 19 of 25, 188 yards, two touchdowns, an impressive QB rating of 123.4. Gotta love what you got from the second year quarterback, Sam Howe, who is poised. Uh, He was confident. He took the one bad sack that forced the third and 15 and completely made up for it with a 17-yard rocket to Cole Turner. But the most impressive part of Sam Howell's debut here, or not debut, but uh, home game here, home debut for the Commanders in preseason game number two against the Ravens was the two touchdown passes, one to Antonio Gibson, and the other one um, to, who is it? Jahan Dotson got the other one? I'm, no, no, I'm, no, his boy from NC. Oh, jo- Giammi, Giammi Brown, yeah. yeah. And those were important for Washington there. Six targets. As they put 17 points on the board in the first half. Takeaway number one was slinging Sam Howell's strong first half performance. Number two, the defense started slow, but Emmanuel Forbes gets that big hit on third down to get off the field. Emmanuel Forbes is my takeaway number two. He is going to be able to tackle this year, even if he's super skinny, even if he's a quick guy and some people think he's scared of the contact. No, he showed up on that third and one. He showed up on third down as well in the preseason game number one in the red zone. That was huge. Takeaway number three, Quan Martin bounces back from his struggles. He was dealing with Uh, making a few mistakes his first preseason game against Cleveland, but against Baltimore in a play in which he was burnt, Quan Martin makes an interception and actually returns it about 40 to 50 yards the other way after picking it off near the back of the end zone. It was just a really impressive play from Quan Martin, who I have high hopes for here for the Washington Commanders. Takeaway number four, that's going to be the mental mistakes, which hurt both sides of the ball here for Washington and Baltimore. Uh, Washington did have fewer penalties than Baltimore, but it wasn't like they played a perfect game. You had the Chris Rodriguez fumble that nearly cost them. Uh, a few pass interference penalties 
that were not great for Washington as well. So the mental mistakes had to be included on my 10 takeaways. Number five, Jake Fromm putting together a game-winning drive. Uh, I think Eric Bieniemy deserves a lot of credit for that as well. But uh, just a game-winning drive there from Fromm in which he converted on a fourth down, in which he kind of e extended the play and uh, kept his team alive by moving the pocket there. It was nice to see a third-string guy be able to move the ball down the field for the game-winning field goal. Takeaway number six, throwing to Brian Robinson is going to be a lot uh, bigger part of the game plan than it was last year. I felt like last year, whenever Robinson was in, it was most likely going to be a run. Gibson, most likely a pass. Now, they've got defenses on their toes. They threw a couple screens to Robinson, and that's the right way to go about it. He had four catches for 17 yards. I think Coach Eric Bieniemy schemed up well there as takeaway number six. Number seven, the one negative, you don't want to get hurt. You don't want to deal with any injuries. McLaurin went down with that toe injury. Now, I will say x-rays were negative on his right big toe. That's a positive, but when he went down, the next five attempted passes were targets at Jahan Dotson, who finished five catches for 76 yards on seven targets. He's clearly Sam Howell's favorite option outside of Scary Terry. Takeaway number eight, Cole Turner continues to flash. A couple of big catches, two for 24 yards, including that one on third down in which Sam Howell read the field from left to right and then found Cole Turner cutting back towards the ball. That's important that you need your tight end to do. When the play starts breaking down, run back towards your quarterback and make the throw easier for him. Number nine, Chris Rodriguez, small but mighty. I think he's going to end up earning that third running down spot, running back spot. You heard us talking to Chris Russell about that. Jarrett Patterson was impressive with his touchdown catch. Jonathan Williams has a lot of experience, but Rodriguez, five carries for 31 yards, six yards per carry. If he didn't have that fumble, I would say absolutely lock him in as the third running back. And then number 10, final takeaway. We can finally count on Joey Sly right now to win a game. You need that. If this team is going to be successful, I said they have to play complementary football. You need the offense to be solid. The defense has to be great. And you need stellar special teams this season. They had a really good punt that they stopped the Ravens at the one-yard line. And then Joey Sly comes into the game and nails the game-winning field goal. And I'm not the only one who's fired up around the country for the Commanders. It's the lead story on ESPN. It's the lead story on most local talk radio shows because... That was prime time. That was ESPN Monday Night Football. And slinging Sammy Howell looked great. Let's take a listen to Pat McAfee, who is fired up for our QB1. And I'll tell you, for a preseason football game, week two preseason football game, these games have normally stunk. These games have been terrible. What? But Sam Howell and the commanders with Eric Bieniemy's offense look damn good. It's yeah. against third stringers. Who cares? Mm -hmm. They were slinging the ball all over the place. Sam Howell appears to be a guy. Now, I put out a tweet that says, this dude can really deal with f***ing pigskin. Yeah. Yeah. He's lighting it up. He has... I don't want to say a reckless mindset, but he'll throw this thing mm -hmm. into single or double coverage. He has faith in his arm, his accuracy, and his teammates. I think he's beloved. We talked to Taylor Heineke at Radio Row, and we asked him about a situation that happened during the season last year where Taylor Heineke was supposed to be the starter, and he actually allegedly came out and said, you know what, hey, you've already seen what I am. 
You should get a look at what the Sam Howell guy is. Yeah. I'll actually back up Sam Howell this week yeah. at the end of the season last year because Sam Howell was drafted to be the quarterback there after one rough year at North Carolina, after a great year before that, whatever his second year in college eligibility was. Yep. So a lot of hope, a lot of hype. And Taylor Heineke said, look, watching this guy behind the scenes, he has everything you could possibly need to be an NFL quarterback. Last night, I saw it. Yeah, last night, sure. his eyes saw it. Yeah. Eric Bieniemy's offense was cooking. Yeah. It felt like the commanders are in a much better spot than they have been, especially under the Dan Snyder. Like, that ball is a rock. rock. Mm -hmm. That is a f***ing rocket right there. <laughs> he, he had a bunch of those all night. And then um, I think you start listening to Josh Harris speak. Yeah, well, we try to. <laughs> Everybody's talking about the handshake, uh, but flamed out. Sam Howell got Pat McAfee fired up. It's got your boy Awad fired up. If you're fired up, you can chime in 833-804-0910. Just one half of football, but better stats than some of Taylor Heineke's entire games. Definitely better stats than Carson Wentz for a few of his starts last season. 19 for 25, 188 yards. Two touchdown passes and a quarterback rating of 123.4. Commanders snapped the Ravens' win streak during preseason 29-28. to From the NFL to college football, that season begins in just a few weeks. We're going to catch you up on the latest from Virginia Tech, UVA, JMU, ODU, and more. All the college football talk in the state of Virginia on University Drive coming up next. Spend your afternoons with Adam Epstein, AWOD Radio, every weekday at noon on Sports Radio 910 The Fan and 105.1 FM. Welcome back. What up, what up, what up? You're listening to AWOD. Here on a Victory Tuesday, phone lines are open if you want to chime in. 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. We'll catch up with Greg Medea at 2.30 and Lane Casadante to run around local sports here in Richmond. Of course, he's the sports director from CBS 6. A big shout-out to Lane for coming by and joining me on stage at Football Festival this past Saturday. He'll join us in about 15 minutes, but right now... We wanted to catch you up on all of the college football news here in the state of Virginia with University Drive. Let's go to University Drive. Scores, rivalries, rankings, all the college football in the state of Virginia. We'll follow the action all season long. College football, baby. University Drive on AWOD Radio. All right, Zach, let's get things started in Blacksburg, the Virginia Tech Hokies. They start their season September 2nd against ODU. ODU defeated Virginia Tech start last year's season. 8 p.m. game Saturday night in Blacksburg. And Brent Pride told the media earlier this week that a quarterback decision is coming soon. Will it be Grant Wells, who started all of last season, or the Baylor transfer, Kyron Drones? And anytime we talk to Bill Roth about this, who joins us Wednesdays at 1.30, he says simply, Drones did not transfer to sit the bench. And at the same time, Grant Wells has all this experience, and he's not just going to give up his starting opportunity as QB1 for the Hokies. I personally 
want it to be Chiron Drones. I like his skill set, the ability to scramble and run for first downs. And I think back to, you know, my 30 years on this planet rooting for the Hokies. When are they at their best? When they have a running quarterback. And I look at Grant Wells and I say, there were a few times last year where he looked all right. The Georgia Tech game, the first half against NC State. But he lost this game last year to ODU. He lost that game. So why would Virginia Tech say we're going to start this season with that same quarterback, right? Virginia Tech should never lose a game in state. I'm going to repeat that for the UVA fans listening right now. Virginia Tech should never lose a game in state, point blank period. They should be the best team in the state of Virginia year in and year out. But they didn't do that last year. They lost to ODU. And they might have lost to UVA at the end of this season. That can't happen again. You've got weapons on the outside. You have the addition of Ali Jennings and a few other transfers. I want Chiron Drones to start. Head coach Brent Pry told reporter Colt, uh, Brent Pry told reporters that the Hokies were getting close to a decision. He said, "Yep, we're getting pretty close. I hope over the next three or four days. Tomorrow will be a big test. There'll be a lot of snaps for both of those guys. It's obviously something that everybody's looking at very closely each day." And both guys, to be honest, the last two days have done some good things. So Price said after the scrimmage, the coaches will gather to discuss the quarterback position. And you got to think that they're going to make the decision by the end of this week so that either Jones or Wells can have a full week of practice with the first team ahead of the September 2nd 8 p.m. matchup against ODU. All right, let's move over to... The other team in the ACC from the state of Virginia with little UVA. So UVA begins their season a a nightmare test against Tennessee in Nashville at Nissan Stadium, the home of the Titans. What's interesting is Tony Elliott, second-year head coach for UVA, nearly ended up at Tennessee. Before Tennessee, athletic director Danny White hired uh, their new head coach to replace Jeremy Pruitt ahead of 2021, there was some interest shown in then-Clemson offensive coordinator Tony Elliott. Elliott ended up sticking around at Clemson for another season, and the Vols found a new coach. Well, after the 21 season, Elliott then accepted the job at Virginia. He said, quote, first of all, Obviously, Tennessee is, in my opinion, one of the blue bloods in college football, one of the top-tier programs in the country. When I evaluate it, there were a lot of positive things about it. It just wasn't the right time for me. So when it came down to it, I prayed about it, and I said I want the Lord to lead me in the direction he'd have me go on. So it was close, but in the end of the day, I was looking at the totality of everything. It just wasn't the right time and the right fit for me. So He's excited for his matchup against Tennessee. But, man, I'm going to need Tony Elliott to really scheme up the UVA offense this season. We'll see if there's a quarterback competition there. When I met with Tony Elliott and quarterback Tony Musket at ACC kickoff, it seemed like he was going to be the guy. But now the freshman Colangelo is really making Tony Elliott think about his decision here. And, of course, their season begins uh, in just a few weeks as well. And you know they've got to start hot this season. And that is a very tough task when you're facing off against number 12 Tennessee week one. But week two, September 9th, 
against James Madison. That is what I'm circling as my top three biggest games of the season for the state of Virginia. Absolutely. JMU at UVA. And with that being said, let's move over to the James Madison Dukes. During the season, we talk with Dave Riggert, the voice of the Dukes, who was nice enough to join us at Football Fest. And he mentioned with conference realignment, the Sun Belt is really set up for success. And JMU had an awesome opening season in the Sun Belt. They host Bucknell to start the season, and that will most likely to be a victory for the Dukes. And then they travel to Charlottesville to face off uh, or Charlotte, Virginia to face Charlottesville to face off against UVA September 9th, 12 noon. And JMU wants big name programs to challenge them, right? JMU football is definitely on the rise. Well, their athletic director yearns to bring power conferences to Harrisonburg. Opponents that jazz spectators and athletes alike, but early returns are not encouraging and there's little the athletic director can do to alter the dynamics around opposing teams not wanting to face JMU. He said, we've had extreme difficulty getting institutions to play us here. He's basically saying, oh, yeah, the big colleges, they'll say, yeah, we'll host JMU, but we're not going to face you in your home stadium when you've got a good football program. He goes on to say the frustration, the challenge, goes to a lot of Power Fives not wanting to play us at all, even at their place. There's not a week that goes by that we don't actively and aggressively try to find schools that will be willing to do that. So entering its second season here at, at the FCS level, JMU is contracted to play six Power Conference opponents in the next seven years, all of them on the road. You've got Virginia this season, North Carolina in 24 and 28. Virginia Tech will face them at home in Blacksburg in 2025. Maryland will host JMU in 2027. And Central Florida in 2029. So several of the contest, contests were scheduled when the Dukes were in the championship subdivision. Now that they're at the top level, it's going to be important for them to compete in these games and try to get a few wins. Play JMU in Harrisonburg? I don't think so. That's an established, uh, a, um, it's an established home stadium, and an opponent would be asking for trouble if they went there. Let's move over to ODU, talk a little Monarchs here on University Drive. We mentioned they will be the opening opponent for Virginia Tech to start the season. We're still waiting to see who will be named as the starting quarterback for ODU this season as their starting quarterback last year, Hayden Wolf, moved on in the offseason. Defensively, they'll be led by Jason Henderson, who led all the Sun Belt and tackles last season. ODU looking to build off of last year's success inside the Sun Belt. Um, I I'm looking forward to their contest against JMU this season. VMI came out to Football Fest. They host Davidson September 2nd at 1.30 to start their season. William & Mary starts early Thursday night football, August 31st at Campbell. And John O'Connor, the Richmond Times-Dispatch, writes that William & Mary seems like an FCS title contender and could possibly follow in the footsteps of University of Richmond, who had a path to the championship back in 2008. You watch the games, we'll cover it here on University Drive. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan.
to three on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Welcome back. What up, what up, what up? It's AWOD here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now, now at 105.1 FM, your home for the Washington Commanders and the best high school football talk here in town as we drive down Richmond Highway with the czar Gary Hess every Wednesday at 2.15. Of course, he broadcasts high school football games that can be heard right here on 910 The Fan. And we run around high school football here on Tuesdays at 1.30 with Lane Casadante from CBS 6. What's going on, Lane? Hey, good afternoon, Adam. How's everybody? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for coming out to Football Fest on Saturday. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, hopefully uh, you get to do it uh, every August for a few more years. Yeah, no, it would be great. Uh, we had a good conversation on stage. It was Lane Casadante, Coach Criswell, me and Gary Hess. So for those of uh, my audience members that missed it, why don't you recap uh, what we were talking about there for our high school football season preview? Well, we th- this is the first year since I've been here anyway. We have three defending champs uh, in the central in Central Virginia, um, defending state champions, Highland Springs, Dinwiddie, and Trinity. But for the first time in my history here anyway, all three were undefeated. They were combined 41-0 and um, last year. And, of course, already, <laughs> already one of them has lost this year. Dinwiddie went out to uh, Ohio and lost to Glenville, Ohio, which is a school in Cleveland, um, and they lost in a uh, in an early season matchup out there. But um, all three of those teams start on the road this year, and they all start out of state. Trinity will play in Ohio next Saturday, I believe, or next Friday, and Highland Springs travels to Miami this week, uh, and they will take on Miramar High School in Florida, which is the alma mater of head coach Lauren Johnson. So all three of them are not only – not at home. They are not even in their home state uh, as they, you know, Central Virginia football is traveling uh, a few more miles than normal to, uh, to up their competition this year. It's Lane Casadante with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. He hosts Final Score Friday on CBS 6 alongside Sean Robertson. So did you guys have your first final, uh, final score Friday? Did you do a preview show yet? Uh, our preview show aired last night. Love um, that. Uh, shout out to our uh, our promotions team of Brandy Brown and David Stotts and Enzo Domingo and our art department. They did a, uh, a Herculean task of making Sean and I look good in that show. <laughs> um, and there there are you know we we touched on the fact there are ten new head coaches at programs all over Central Virginia this year. Maybe not necessarily new to players and and fans, but they are new to where they are this year. Uh, which is a high number for us. Um, there's also a number of seniors that have already signed to play at the Division One level next year. Uh, so there's a lot, of, and, and there's a lot of juniors uh, that are ranked very highly in the state that will be making their decisions in a few months here. And this season coming up is going to be, you know, really crucial for their next, the next four years, five years of their future. Because this is the year when you know uh, a lot of college recruiters really look to see if your talent and your ability are worth a scholarship offer. 
Lane, last year covering high school football, we heard a lot about Thomas Dale quarterback Ethan Minter. Did you preview the season for Thomas Dale and their quarterback, Ethan Minter, on your Final Score Friday preview show? Yeah, yeah, we talked with Ethan uh, and Thomas Dale again. They were 10-2 and two last year. Um, uh, ran into, uh, you know, every year it seems like uh, whatever Division Six challenger we have in this area runs into the buzzsaw that is Oscar Smith down in Virginia Beach. Um, and Kevin Tucker is going to have another really, really good team again this year. They always do. Ethan originally, I believe, verbaled to Old Dominion, but now he is committed to Virginia. So he will be headed up. This is finally his senior year. He's at least a two-year starter, if not two-and-a-half, three-year starter at quarterback for Thomas Dale. We've got a couple of those in this area. They're very rare. Um, but there's a lot of experience at that position at some programs around here, which should translate into playing deep into uh, November and maybe even December. It's Lane Casadante here with us on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Joins us every Tuesday at 1.30 to run around local sports here in Richmond, Virginia. So we just did University Drive talking college football. Lane, normally if I ask the question, who will be the best program in the state of Virginia – it would have been Virginia Tech, but that hasn't been the case the last few seasons. Who do you think is going to be the most successful program in Virginia this season at the college level? I think it's going to be JMU, uh, and I think Liberty will probably be right behind them. Um, uh, Kurt Signetti has taken that program, took it right over uh, where his predecessor left off, uh, and JMU has played, won a couple of national titles there. They were in the mix every year at uh, the FCS level in the playoffs for, you know, getting at least to the quarterfinals, if that's the semifinals of the title game. And now they seamlessly made the transition to 1A in the Sunbelt Conference. They won their division last year. They were ineligible because of that archaic NCAA rule hmm. that says you can't play in a bowl game for, I think, two years once you move up in class. Um, and they're picked to win their division again this year. So uh, that's a program that seemingly hasn't missed a beat. They were ranked last year for the first time ever, uh, came in at 25th for one week after winning their first five games. So JMU is probably going to be the best. Liberty is going to uh, probably be the second best. I think Virginia Tech, I, I really, really like what Brett Pry has done, turning his recruiting around. Uh, he has now at least, uh, between 10 and 12 kids from the 804 on his active roster right now, which we haven't seen down there for a number of years. Um, will they all contribute this year? Probably not. Uh, but give him another year with getting his kids into the system. You know, Virginia Tech has 30 new scholarship players on their roster this year. Wow. That's turnover. Now, we may be seeing more numbers like that in the age of the transfer portal and things like that, but – for right now, for where programs are, 30 is an almost unheard of number. You know, with and I know they had a coaching change just you know one year ago, um, but 30 is a lot for any program, and that's that's how many new faces he has this fall. And then Lane, if we take a step down a level, how about William and Mary with Mike London now in his fifth season? They've got everybody back from uh, a program that was one of the most, if not the most, successful in school history last year. Um, John Pius is back. Uh, their quarterbacks are back. Running backs, everybody. Uh, I, I won't say everybody. They did graduate a few people, but a lot of guys that contributed mightily to their success last year are back again this year. John Pius is going to be in the nightmares of every quarterback in the CAA this year, just because he 
was a finalist for a national player of the year last year as a junior coming back this year. Uh, you know, they're already picked fourth in the nation uh, to start the season. So obviously it's not just us that thinks that they're going to have a pretty good year. Everybody else does too. Lane, once again, appreciate you coming out to football festival this Saturday. And we did want to give a big shout out to Randolph Macon, who had the best set up there, an unbelievable booth. They brought out their mascot. They're going to be fired up for another good season. Preseason uh, number, uh, preseason pick to win the ODAC, I think. And uh, there was there was a uh, a release yesterday, and I have to apologize. I was taking my son back to JMU yesterday, uh-huh. so I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing. But uh, Randolph Macon, you, let me, uh, yeah, unanimous number one, preseason number one in the ODAC. Um, and Pedro Aruza, I have heard this from more than a few people. There are so many people, especially not just in Richmond but throughout the state to think Pedro Aruza is one of, if not the best college football coach in the state. Um, and what he does up at Randolph-Macon every year, they are always in contention for their conference title. They're always ranked. They're always in the playoffs and they're always a threat to go deep into the season. Uh, and it'll be, it's always interesting to see what they do. They, they try to play the, the toughest schedule they can. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see what he does with his talent this year. Slane Casadante with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, sports director for WTVR. Follow him on social media, Lane CTV Sports. And the commanders have been dominating the airwaves on my show tonight. today after I was pumped up after what I saw in the first half from Sam Howell last night. What was your biggest takeaway? I, I think he played well. I really liked the way the offense, at least, responded to adversity both from themselves and from the defense. Obviously, a lot of the starters not playing on defense last night. And, you know, you could – the Ravens, even with their third and fourth stringers, managed to go down the field almost at will at times. But the Mm -hmm. offense responded, um, and I like to see that. That that was a more important win for the commanders last night than it was a loss for the Ravens. The Ravens don't care. I mean, that, that, that 24-game winning streak is an anomaly. It's something for guys like us to talk about. Hmm. Um, now, you know, they're going to say it didn't mean anything. I kind of You, you never want to be the person that's on a team that sees a streak like that come to an end. But, in, you know, in the fine print of everything, it doesn't really matter. But that was more important of a win for the commanders because it's about the attitude of the entire franchise and the attitude of the fan base. You wouldn't have seen that. They don't win that game last year. Yeah, no, Um, you're right. Just because of the attitude and because of so many other things. So is it going to count, you know, in a month or two months? No, it's not. But it might count in a year or two Uh, as a starting point. We may point to this as the turning point or the starting off point for where this franchise finally gets itself turned around. Lane, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Adam. Have a great week. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910, The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. So x-rays came back, and they were negative on the toe of the right foot of wide receiver number one, Terry McLaurin. How much should we be worried about this toe injury? 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. Some Commander's Corner talk next on The Sports Fan. Sports Radio 910, The Fan, at 105.1 FM.
Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910, The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, always available around the country on the Odyssey app. Download it today for free and just search 910, The Fan to check out your boy Monday through Friday from 12 to 3 p.m. You can always rewind, pause the show, run some errands, and pick up right where you left off on the Odyssey app. It's got little chapters there so you know, oh, I'm going to the Richmond Commander. Ooh, I want to hear EB from the Junkies who joined me today at 12.15 or Chris Russell, the Rooster, at 12.30. And I want to continue our Commander's conversation right now with a little Commander's Corner on the fan. So Sam Howell looked awesome. I mean, Sam Howell was throwing effing rockets, according to Pat McAfee. And everything you wanted to see from Sam Howell in that first half was pretty much perfect. The one negative came on a pass in which Sam Howell threw to Terry McLaurin. He caught the ball, was tackled from behind, and his legs got caught under him and dragged to the ground, and he left the game limping. That's your biggest takeaway, really, is that your quarterback looked good, but now you might be without your wide receiver one. How much should we be worried about Terry McLaurin missing time due to this toe injury? Now, they did announce on the broadcast the x-rays, x-rays were negative. McLaurin has 19 days to recover before week one against the Arizona Cardinals. So, 19 days. That's two and a half weeks, close to three weeks. If broken, toes can take four to six weeks for complete healing. Most pain and swelling will go away within a few days to a week if something was dropped on the toe. The area under the toenail can also bruise. This will go away in time with toenail growth. The scary thing is, is that a toe injury can linger and it could lead to plantar fasciitis or it could lead to a heel injury or an ankle injury or an Achilles injury or a knee injury because you're going to be putting more weight on different parts of your foot. Good thing is the x-rays were negative. Uh, We just don't want this to lead to, hey, McLaurin's now out six weeks because of a Liz Frank injury or something like that. That would be a nightmare, especially because McLaurin and Sam Howell have created some chemistry already in a short time playing with each other. Ian Rappaport, who covers the NFL, tweeted today, wide receiver Terry McLaurin is believed to be dealing with a toe sprain. Based on the initial diagnosis, sources say the injury from last night's game, also known as turf toe, is not thought to be overly serious, but he'll have an MRI today to determine the full extent. Then he followed up a couple hours later, 10 minutes ago, saying the good news out of the MRI. Sources say there is optimism for Terry McLaurin to suit up week one. It is more day-to-day than anything with scans showing no major injury. How much should we be worried about Terry McLaurin missing time this season, Zach? What do you think? I mean, look, x-rays were negative. All right, the MRI shows that he's just day-to-day, but it is his big toe on his right foot. He is a right-handed guy, and so he's going to use that foot to plant in and out of his routes. I'm going to say I am 5 out of 10 on my worry scale. Anybody listening right now who played high school football or any you know football through college even, you can feel that injury right now on the ball of your foot, right where that joint is. Yeah. 
It is a nagging thing. And when it gets cold outside, I feel it still. And oh, that's, knees, you know what? That's a good point. Turf, like turf toe, is, it sucks. So but you can play through it. Yeah, but so what you're saying is maybe he plays through it, but then October, November, when it starts getting cold, it could become an issue again. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things that don't go away. So you think, guaranteed, it's going to linger all season long. Yeah, because it's just, it's time. Oh. Well, that's my. That's now you're taking my worry up to an eight or a nine, bud. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Look, they have all kinds of treatments now. This is like back in the '90s when I was playing high school football on hard turf, you yeah. know. And if you stub it, it's even worse. But think of all the advancements they made with equipment and, and cleats. Well, and I can like say that. from my time being a Commanders fan, and Antonio Gibson had turf toe his rookie season, and I believe he missed the final four weeks of the season. I'm telling you, it's tough. Yeah. It's no. It sounds simple, like it's a toe. Who cares? Right, but it's no joke. Yeah, but because your, your toe main, is connected to your foot, which is connected your to your digit. leg. Yeah, your main digit. There's right. a lot of soft tissue down there too. Right, right. I mean, it's not like it's a pinky toe where yeah. you're gonna just tape pinky it to the other. Just run a lot. Cut it off. Right. Yeah. No. So I'm I'm a little worried. But here's what I will say is that at least Jahan Dotson showed up last night. In and pre-season. he's basically a, a wide receiver one. He's B. basically a one B yeah. with Terry McLaurin, which is awesome because you want them those two guys on the field together, and then really our offense could be unstoppable. But without McLaurin, at least you have Dotson ready to go, and he can run all the routes that you need your wide receiver one to run. Well, Sam Howell finished the game with the Commanders with a really impressive stat line of 19 for 25, just six incomplete passes, 188 yards, and two touchdowns. Here's Sam Howell on his performance against the Ravens. I thought it was all right. You know, it was, it was, it was, I think the main thing was just a lot of fun. Um, and it was a good team win. You know, I think we're, we're really starting to become a team. Um, and there, there was a lot of good things out there tonight. It was a lot of fun to be a part of. I just think offensively, I think we, we did some good things, put some good drives together. Obviously, there's some stuff to clean up. Um, some sacks, both, I think, I don't know how many sacks we had, maybe two, I think, and they were both my fault, so I got to do a better job with that stuff. Uh, we'll clean it up, but we made some plays, you know, a lot of guys made some plays, and we got a good work out of two-minute drill, um, which was successful for us. There's a lot of good that came out of tonight. It really was a good team win, and I'm going to go back to what EB from the Junkie said earlier on the show. I do really like how Sam Howe's not into himself. Right, he's humble. He's not bragging. He's immediately bringing up the few mistakes he's made. He's not posting. He's not posting on social media. He's not going to fall into the Treadwell Diggs theory where all we see is him posting guns and money and cars. No, if he does post, it's going to be him working out. He's watching tape. He's watching tape. And he's getting better. And he looked better from week to week. And that's exactly what you want to see. And he made one big mistake with that 13-yard sack and bounced back. And so I just love... What I saw from Sam Howell, and I love hearing him talk, too. I mean, he really just seems like a guy that's down to earth, and he realizes there's an opportunity here for him to be the face of the franchise for the next five to ten years. Uh, John Keim joined the Sports Junkies this morning. Of course, he covers the Commanders for ESPN and has always been one of my favorite beat reporters. Let's take a listen to John Keim on the play from Sam Howell. He can't always look for the big play. And on that one, the first one, he's looking for the big play because he had a couple options available right away and would have gotten the first down, but he wanted the big play and he thought he could get it, and then he gets a sack. 
But the, but what I like about him is that the ability to move one play to the next and not carry that play over because the next play is just a is a really good job in a lot of ways. Like you, you know, it wasn't he hits Cole Turner on the 16 yards on third and 15, but it wasn't just that he completed the pass. It's how you get to that pass and your feet are matching your eyes as you're going through your progression. A little thing, but very important. And then you, then it goes to your quick twitch stuff because he shows that all the time. The ability when you're going through your progressions, you see it, you go. And one guy who did that very well here when he was here was Kirk Cousins. That quick twitch mm. ability is a big deal for them. I, again, I've seen it throughout camp. I've seen it at different times in the games. I also like the way he moves in the pocket. And sometimes it's just a subtle step to his side mm -hmm. just to create a little bit more, just to get to that little bit more of a crease of an opening, but not taking you out of your throwing area so to speak and not putting you in a bad spot but just to create you know and just but it's with your your, your eyes are up you know, and you kind of take that subtle half step to the left or so and you just get yourself in a better position to throw a ball so he does a lot of those things well and he has we talked about like he has these traits of guys who become solid quarterbacks in this league and so but again the, you have to be given the time to fully develop to get there and, you know, that's the question. Those are, there are things we don't know about him, obviously. But the, what you've seen so far is like, yeah, this kid can play in the league. We've got a new owner, a new offensive coordinator in Washington, and a new QB, Sam Howell, who has the entire DMV juiced up for football season. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan.